This is Kincaid and Breckenridge, exclusively on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Welcome back. I'm Roger. That's Rob. Let's uh, look at some Alberta politics right now. Because uh, something weird happened in the legislature yesterday. Uh, your, your Twitter might have lit up if you follow this uh, sort of thing. Certain people on Twitter, the politics watchers, about Rick McIver, the interim leader of the PCs, uh, having a bit of a tantrum, a meltdown in uh, the halls of power there up in the legislature in Edmonton. And uh, what was it all about? Was a debate not going his way? Was he uh, incensed at a question that uh, he asked that was not answered by the government? No. It was actually legitimate. And a seasoned politician like Rick McIver uh, lost his mind because the speaker, and listen, I'm characterizing this as I see it, because the speaker acted inappropriately. Well, and that's his issue. And, and Rick McIver posted on his Twitter feed, and we've got those in our blog post at Newstalk770.com, a copy of the uh, proposed amendment to his motion. And then this, what looks to be a speaker's ruling, it, it says right on the sheet that it's a ruling regarding this amendment that, that both basically came down at exactly the same time. Uh, so, look, th- this whole motion is about basically reaffirming support for private and charter schools. And there are a lot of people on the left who are urging the New Democrats, you know, you got you to scuttle this. We, why are we supporting private schools? we got to support public education. So there's been a big debate around this. Um, so you get that the NDP uh, are, are trying to scuttle this. But uh, wh- why it would have to be done this way is, is a mystery to me. So how is it possible that you could have this amendment, and that's the first they'd heard of it, the first they'd seen of it, to all of a sudden immediately have a speaker's ruling on the amendment uh, that, as McIver says, and you can see it yourself, is pretty close to verbatim. So McIver says, quote, people can draw their own conclusions, but I'm upholding the dignity of the House because I think the rulings in the House have to be made based on the arguments made in the House, not predetermined and typed up ahead of time. So he was pretty upset about it, and, and that's what led to, well, let, let's play a couple minutes of it. This, this is kind of how it went down in the ledge yesterday as uh, McIver gets upset, gets warned by the speaker, and eventually is, is told to get out. I remember. Um, the, um, I'm, I'm not exactly certain how you obtained uh, the, the piece of, uh, of information that you have. Uh, I was advised uh, by, uh, by my cable officers, and I did uh, make a, a, a decision based upon a precedent as cited in the, sta- in the, in the, uh, in the order decision that I made. And uh, I would uh, ask that that. Uh, or you heard people make their arguments. That's a fact. This was, print, this was printed out before people stood up in this house and made their arguments. I know, because I had it in my hand, it is enhancered. This is not the way you run a legislature, Mr. Speaker. I'm sorry, Mr. Speaker. I know you're unhappy with me, but I'm unhappy with you. Will you make a ruling Honourable before member, you hear the evidence? Honourable member, would you, Honourable member, would you please sit down? No, I will not. Not unless you reverse your ruling, Mr. Speaker. Honourable member... Honourable member, respectfully, could I ask? I will not sit down unless you reverse your ruling. I have to explain this to the front page of the newspaper tomorrow. Honourable member, I will not sit down unless you reverse your ruling. I'm asked. 
I'm asking you one final time if you would sit down. And my answer will not change because the speaker will not sit down unless you reverse the ruling that you made before you heard the evidence presented. Honorable member, I received this handed to me by one of the pages. Lest there be any suggestion that I had any notice of this coming to me, I did not. I did not receive this, and I am curious how this was received by you. That's another. That's another. That's another matter that needs to be discussed within, uh, within the in the house in terms of practice here. I can only you can only accept the word that I saw this at the same time. I for finally, therefore, you've made your motion, your your request. It's conditional that I sit down. And, uh, and I, I'm sorry, unless you sit down, I'm going to have to ask you to leave the house. Mr. Speaker, will not sit down unless you reverse your Then I must ask that you leave the house now. Okay. Well, and eventually he did. They went on for a couple more minutes, though. And uh, apparently Rick McIver doesn't get back in until he apologizes. But now we're learning that it's the speaker who, who screwed up. Mm-hmm. So we're going to uh, talk to our colleague and, and former MLA, Danielle Smith, uh, in, in a few moments here. Um, but we're going to figure out kind of exactly what the procedural ongoings here are, because this is, this is a bit mysterious uh, for those of us who, you know, don't do this for a living. I think there's some sort of some, some, some shop talk at, at play here. But this is my understanding of it, Rob. And so let me just put this out there is that um, the, the, the member, Rick McIver, in this case, makes a, a motion, and then they debate the motion, and then they might uh, decide to amend the motion, and then they'll debate the amendment, and then uh, they'll settle on something. That'll be written up, and then it'll become basically, uh, we're going to change your motion to this. We're going to amend it to this. What Rick McIver is basically saying here is that he's holding onto a piece of paper that has the amendment typed out on it verbatim, He's holding the amendment, and he says, we haven't even debated the amendment to this motion yet. How is it that I have a finalized version of it? So, and then you hear the speaker there, Robert Wanner, the uh, NDP MLA for Medicine Hat, saying, I don't know how you got that, which uh, sounds to me like I'm the only person who's supposed to have that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, and, and now he's admitting that Don Braid, who covers uh, the ledge for, for Post Media, has covered it for a very long time. And apparently this is just happening now. The speaker's addressing this. As Don Braid tweets, a highly embarrassing moment for the speaker. Confidential notes to him were mistakenly handed to McIver, he says. Warner continues to insist he did not see the notes nor make his ruling beforehand. Essentially, McIver got kicked out of the ledge because of a monumental goof by the speaker's office. Here's the problem, though, with that argument is that these are not described as notes. It says pretty clearly here, ruling on admissibility of amendment to motion 504. And again, it's got the amendment basically verbatim. It's got five bullet points, the last one being, or the last two really. In this case, I find that the purpose of the proposed amendment is to modify motion 504 to present the House an alternative to the original question. The amendment is not a direct negative. Accordingly, I find that the amendment is in order as moved. So it's written in first person as the speaker. Now, maybe someone in the speaker's office drew that up. But to say that those are notes, okay, well, why doesn't it say notes regarding the admissibility of this amendment as opposed to flat out stating that this is a ruling? So 
it's it's still to me rather suspicious. Uh, pretty embarrassing moment uh, for the legislature, for the government, for the speaker himself yesterday. Uh, while Rick McIver and uh, others uh, were murmuring in the background, let's listen in on the speaker's microphone. Ruling should be made. Uh, what was that speaker? Well, I'm sorry. How does this happen? He said, how does this happen? <laughs> the mics are on. Yeah. The mics are on in there. Yeah. How does this happen? So, I mean, the, the fact that that was kind of an unguarded moment shows that, that obviously the speaker's trying to figure out what the heck's going on here. So that would maybe, I, I suppose, put to rest the notion that he was in on a plan to to scuttle this motion. That he said, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll draw up a ruling and, you know, we'll, we'll really stick it to Rick McIver. Uh, that he was kind of blindsided by this, that his office screwed up. That maybe it wasn't any any more sinister than that. That that's kind of what that reveals. All right, we're gonna, we're going to take a break right here. We're very fortunate at times like this to be working with an old pro in government circles, uh, Danielle Smith, uh, who is the former leader of the Wild Rose Party uh, MLA for uh, Highwood. Got that right? Uh, she'll she'll join us in studio. Give us some sort of uh, Kelly Rudy analysis of of exactly what went on. We'll follow this story uh, a little bit further after this break. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk seven seventy. Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770 as we discuss Rick's flair. That was my headline. I love it. As a rest, I don't know if Danielle gets da- the reference. Da- but. Danielle is a, is a closeted wrestling <laughs> fan. I think she just doesn't like to talk about how much she I don't get half your guys' pop oh, culture reference. I'm going to look that one up. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so where we're at here, uh, Rick McIver got very angry yesterday, was uh, kicked down to the legislature by the speaker. But as we learned today, it seems like Rick McIver had a, a legitimate beef here. The, the speaker now admitting that the confidential notes that were supposed to be for his eyes only were somehow handed right to Rick McIver. Uh, so Rick McIver still needs to apologize, though, before he can get back into the House. And in the meantime, the uh, NDP says, well, as an olive branch, and those are their words, we're going to withdraw this amendment to Rick McIver's motion. So joining us in studio, someone who's going to be speaking with Rick McIver at about 1245 this afternoon and someone who I I think understands the uh, ins and outs of uh, all of this better than than we do, Daniel Smith. Hello. Thanks for stopping by. (laughs) I'm glad to be here. I have to tell you, if you want my take on it, I think that the speaker erred. And it sounds like he erred at the advice of his parliamentary council. But if you listen to the debate, what what happens in motions, this is really the only opportunity for opposition members to put an issue on the table, have it meaningfully debated. And normally it's just a yes, no vote. They don't normally allow for amendments because there's a limited amount of time. And as you saw probably 15 minutes was taken up with the brouhaha that came about because of this amendment. So that's one part. It's very unusual to have amendments. The speaker claims that the reason he allowed the amendment is because back in 2007, there had been amendments to motions that happened four times in that year. But fortunately, Dave Rodney is in the legislature. He was in the legislature at the time. And he said, the only reason you can amend a motion is if it's accepted by the person who's putting it forward. This was clearly not accepted. So that's the second point. And the third 
point is it is against parliamentary practice to allow for an amendment to a motion that fundamentally changes what the motion is about. Rick McIver is clearly putting forward a motion to affirm the right of parents to choose the type of education that they want for their kids, whether it's public, separate, homeschooling, charter schooling, private schooling. And when Robin Luff, the Edmonton or the Calgary East MLA, put forward her motion, it was designed to only affirm certain types of educational choice right. and not the other ones except for in the event that it's not available in the public school. So he was saying, look, this, this is highly unusual to uh, amend a motion in the first place, but in second place, it's not friendly, and in third place, you're fundamentally changing it, and it should fall. Okay, so presumably you're going to get into that in, in great detail with uh, Rick McIver when you speak to him this afternoon, but, I mean, surely from all sides uh, of the, or both sides, I guess, of the political spectrum, right wing, left wing, we have to respect that this was a major failing on the part of the Speaker of the House. It was. Right. It really was. And it, I think the part that he is was completely outraged by is everybody went through making their best arguments, feeling like they would have the opportunity to change his mind with reasoned arguments, and the fix was in. The, the decision had already been made. He anticipated that there would be an objection. His parliamentary counsel wrote up the rationale for why they were going to reject the points of order. And so he wasted everybody's time. If you've already prejudged it and it's proven because you've gotten a written document saying, no matter what I hear, this is going to be the ruling. This is the reason why Rick McIver also said that this is completely inappropriate. You're, you're violating the rights of the members to have their opportunity to be heard and to be able to put forward their ideas. Right. But, why, but why do this? That's what's so confusing that they've got a majority. If they don't like Rick's motion, they can vote down Rick's motion. It should have been done that way. I think part of it is they want to have it both ways. It's a challenging motion, and it really goes to the heart of one of the policies the NDP campaigned on and has been talking about for a year. They want to strip funding away from independent schools, and they want to roll charter schools into the public system. They want to restore the public monopoly on education. And so Rick McIver's motion was essentially trying to call them out on that. And I think rather than vote it down completely, which would say that you don't support choice in education, they tried to finesse it to be able to probably make some point to the parents and people who support them that they're not as ideological on this issue as they campaigned on. I think they got caught out on it and I think it was in some ways a clever motion to put forward because it really identifies the fundamental differences in policy between the progressive conservatives and the NDP but I don't think that the NDP did the right thing by amending it. I think if they had just gone through as Rob says, voted it down probably wouldn't even made a news story. Most people right. don't even pay attention to what happens on motions, and then they would have moved on with their other business. Now we have to really question, is funding for, public, for, for, privately, for private schools at risk? Are charter schools going to be rolled into the public system? You have to question that since they went to such extent to put this forward in a motion. Right. The, the, the procedural aspect of it, I mean, this to me is kind of like, uh, you know, the, the referee calling it a touchdown before you've carried the ball into the end zone. Because the PCs are talking about here, uh, you know, a ruling on a on a uh, uh, a point of order that was made before the point of order was brought to the floor. Exactly, yeah. and it was confusing last night when you go through and listen to the debate. It sounds like the pages made an error in giving him the well, same notes. Yeah, like let's be clear about that. It sounds like somebody said, "Hand this to the speaker." 
and somebody walked into the legend go, well, that guy's speaking right now, so I'm going to go and give it to that guy. But that's why I think Rick was doubly upset, is that it's one thing to say my parliamentary uh, table officers anticipated this was argue- this was going to be argued and they made it up for me in advance. It's another thing for somebody from NDP headquarters to say, hey, rush this down to the speaker so that we can intervene in this debate. And there was a, it was a little unclear on where that advice came from. Okay. And so I think that was the other part of it is... That was the thing that was unclear at the time is, is the speaker acting independently here or is he being directed by the NDP premier's office or the NDP caucus, which would have been completely outrageous? Well, and that's the awkward reality of it. And it's not new, obviously, but that that the speaker is chosen from the government ranks. And here's someone who's obviously, in, in addition to that, new to the position, new to politics. Yeah. Uh, I don't don't know that that's justification, but uh, you get the sense maybe that they're they're struggling to to understand how this all works. Or maybe they're being too clever by half. Let's remember the most senior member in the legislature is Brian Mason, who is the House leader. I think uh, Darren Billis, there are a couple of others who who play the role when when he's not there. So this was known in advance to be coming. Um, Robin Luff is a new MLA. She, she clearly wouldn't have attempted to do this without consulting with the more senior members of her caucus. The speaker knew it was coming. That's the other part that's highly unusual is uh, it's nor- it, it would be normal practice in this part of the proceedings that happen in the legislature to let this, the person putting forward a motion know that you're going to try to amend it. It completely blindsided the the PC caucus, as you can tell, but clearly the, the speaker knew about it. So why this a, a shroud of secrecy around something when you could have had, if, you, if they wanted to amend it, they should have told him in advance and then they could have had a decent debate on it. But it sounds like it took everybody by surprise. And then to also have it look like it was being prejudged before they had an opportunity to make their very, very good points. I think the the points that were made about this really being a motion and an amendment that should have been out of order were, were sound arguments. What does what a motion accomplish? It's not a private member's bill. It mm-hmm. doesn't, doesn't bind the government in, in any way. It's just almost like a, a declaration of principle. But what's that's, the point of it? That's exactly right. And that's why it's so strange that the government would go through, or government member would go through such an extent to try to amend it. We, we've seen it used mostly for political purposes. The most effective use of a motion was when liberal MLA Kent Hare put forward a motion committing us to support GSAs in all school, gay street alliances. Right. That's where that first, the idea first came from. And as you can see, the, the brouhaha that developed out of that, that motion ended up turning into government legislation, which now is the law of the land. So it can be something that if it's a if it's an issue that has resonance, can then take on legislative form, but it doesn't always. The other one that was used to great effect was at the federal level when uh, Candace Bergen put forward a motion trying to commit the liberal government to support the passage of the Energy East Pipeline. Right. They voted it down for obvious reasons, but it's caused them nothing but political fallout in this province that they voted this motion down. So they are, to be fair, they are used for political purposes. They are used to draw clear lines between what a particular party stands for and the governing party. Um, If you can get 
all party agreement on these motions. Sometimes it can pass into legislation, but it is not usual for somebody to try to commandeer the process, looping in the speaker in in the fix, and then change the motion completely to what the initial proponent had put forward. And, and that's a good example. I mean, if it was normal to amend motions, don't you think the Liberal government might have amended that motion ha- that happened at the federal level right. so they didn't get a punch <laughs> yeah. in the eye? Yeah. So this yeah. is why it is highly unusual that they tried to take this measure. Um, does this now, I mean, it, it obviously calls into question the impartiality of the speaker. Uh, should he be replaced? <laughs> uh, it's the always, hey, whom, I, I, right? now, yeah. now you've just got me back in political in politician role because <laughs> you're never supposed to criticize the speaker. Hey, I, I can criticize the speaker. <laughs> I, I just don't know that there's any, they're, they're beginning to learn the ropes I don't know that there's really any way that you can choose a speaker that's going to be independent from the governing caucus. This is the sad part is that when you're in opposition, you always see the the ways in which the speaker acts to support his home team and you you rail against it. And you expect that when an opposition party gets into government, that they'll do things differently. This is a sad reality. And we've seen other examples of it, that it's meet the new boss, same as the old boss. They're acting in the same way. So sure, I guess you could get rid of Warner, but then you're going to end up choosing another other MLA from the NDP ranks and you're going to end up with the same steep learning curve. They're going to make mistakes and they're probably in some, in some, in some circumstances going to make mistakes. First of all, you can criticize anybody who wears a pirate hat to work, which the speaker does. Come on, Daniel. That was you can, like a pirate. You can hat. laugh at that. That was some of my best material right there. Uh, and second of all, um, I, I sort of wonder if we're not going to let him off with a pass here because we've got Rick McIver who seems conciliatory or at least willing to receive an apology, I suppose. Well, how odd is it that he's going to apologize? Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm sorry that you guys screwed up. Yeah, and then we've got the NDP, the speaker, who is, well, I mean, there was this olive branch offered and rescinded, I guess. We've got a speaker who's saying, I'm going to take responsibility for this. I, you know, if this is indicative of something a little bit deeper about who's running the show and how the show's being run, then maybe we shouldn't let them off so easy. It's a good point. The the thing is, there's lots of legislation that needs to pass. They're in the middle of budget deliberations as well, going through trying to to do the estimates. There's really important work that's happening in the legislature right now, and it's not in Rick McIver's interest to not be there to represent his party in the legislature in question period. It's not in his interest to not be able to take part in those other... other, important debates. So I can see why he wants to resolve it. And it is a good thing that the NDP have recognized that this was a problem. Because what I worry about is if you're going to allow amendments like this to go forward, then everybody is going to mess around with everybody's motion. And you'll never get any meaningful debate by opposition members. To me, this is this is where the real problem lies, is there are only two opportunities for opposition parties to put any kind of meaningful discussion on the table. And it's when they put forward private members' bills, and it's when when we, they put forward pri- private members' motions. And if this is allowed to pass, then any time anyone puts a motion forward, it's going to be rewritten to to state the exact opposite of what it and was then intended. And we say, ah, we supported it. We voted for that motion. Yeah, and it is, we, we did a 180 on it. <laughs> we voted for it. And democracy is not served. If, if essentially, it basically says then the only thing that's ever going to be debated in the legislature is what the governing party decides. And that isn't good for democracy. All right. Great explainer, Danielle. Thanks for coming in. Rick McIver is going to be on with Danielle at uh, just after 1230 today. Uh, So we'll find out where things stand by then. And uh, who knows what's going to happen over the next couple of hours here. But, you know, she said, I mean, Rick McIver does need to apologize before he can get back into the legislature. It's just odd that we're now learning that this this was not on him. He he did get angry and, uh, you know, make a make a big stink. But 
they they screwed up. Not yeah. not Rick McIver. Yeah, I got a lot of criticism for uh, for Rick McIver, and you've certainly heard that uh, on this program in the past. But uh, you know, I got a I got a amount of respect for him too, and a certain uh, degree of admiration for that display yesterday because I think that that was. Uh, uh, put the government in its place and put the speaker in his place, which is pretty hard to do. I can't imagine how, um, how difficult that might have been for him, knowing uh, what he was getting himself into. All right. We're going to stand down here for the 1030 News. When we come back, Paula Simons from the Edmonton Journal. We're going to talk about the centennial of women getting the vote in Alberta and why it's still relevant today. This is Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. I'm Roger. That's Rob. We're going to continue our Adapting in Alberta series uh, after the news to 1130. In about half an hour, you're going to hear from Scott Crockett, uh, the director of uh, communications over at the Calgary Chamber of Commerce. We're going to uh, talk about the uh, the commercial scene here in town and how businesses are, are, are struggling to get by in the environment. Or even if that's the case, are there other opportunities presenting themselves and are there, uh, uh, are there uh, opportunities for growth uh, in Calgary's economy? Right, and uh, I guess we'll maybe also touch on the fact that they had the finance minister yesterday talking about Alberta's economy uh, before an audience at the chamber. But let's start in this hour with the uh, the ongoing debate, it seems, around the, the taxi industry in, in Calgary. And we're moving in the direction where we're going to, to open things up. There, there is going to be more competition. Uh, how much remains to be seen, but it's certainly been contentious. Um, I, I look if if uh, I understand if a cab driver is not comfortable going from a certain point A to a certain point B, maybe that should be up to the cab driver. But uh, the problem is that that people don't have the choice. There's not enough competition where a customer can say, "Well, okay, you don't want to take me. Well, I'll just get someone else to take me." We do have uh, that that cartel, that protected cartel that exists in in Calgary. So that's why this story, I, I think, is is so important. Yeah, listen, there are problems with passengers attempting to use taxis to get, uh, like Rob put it, from point A to point B and finding taxi drivers who are uncooperative. Something very similar happened to a young woman who joins us now. Jenna Lenichuk, uh, was, uh, she was kicked out, basically, booted from uh, a cab uh, over the weekend. Jenna, thanks very much uh, for joining us uh, here on the radio, first of all. No problem. So tell us uh, what happened. Where were you? When did this happen? And, and, and uh, tell us about the story. Um, so I was down on 10th Ave, and I was on National, so lots of cabs lined up outside. Um, it was a friend's birthday, so and I hadn't been drinking, and I was ready to go home. So I went outside to grab a cab like any normal person would do. And it's dark out, so I didn't want to walk. Um, my car was parked up along Stephen Avenue, so I didn't want to walk uh, that distance in the dark by myself. And I, yeah, so I hailed a cab, jumped in, and he told me it was not really worth his time to drive me up there. And... I was really shocked, and I was just kind of very serious. Um, jumped out because he told me that it wasn't worth his time. I, so I got out, and I was, like, mind-blown. Um, looked at a map to see just how far the distance was, and I was like, no, there's no way I'm walking that. So I jumped into another cab, and he was hesitant. But then I said to him, I was like, uh, do you have a daughter? <laughs> and he says, yes. And I was like, would well, you want her walking in the dark? And I yes he finally like he did it but he wasn't very thrilled about it and i I had offered him a 20 dollar bill to give me a five dollar cab ride just so he would give me the ride so yeah (laughs) yeah so you you were pretty surprised by that extremely surprised yes yeah 
And are you, are you surprised as well by the reaction to this? Because I, I think a lot of people have, you know, they're sharing this story on, on social media. I've seen it all over the place on, on Facebook and Twitter because, uh, I don't know, people, uh, they, they seem outraged by this. Well, they seem outraged, but even more surprising, this isn't the first time this has happened. Um, and that's really, really shocking to me because, I mean, it, it is and it isn't. I mean, I, I've known there's been problems with cabs in Calgary, but I didn't know the extent of it. And now hearing seeing all the comments and hearing how many women especially have faced the exact same thing. Some guys too have come forward and said that they've, they can't believe how many times they've been refused cabs for no reason. Um, but more women being left in downtown Calgary or anywhere in Calgary for that matter in the dark, because the cab doesn't feel that it's worth his time to give them a ride. And I think that's ridiculous. Uh, that That's totally ridiculous. Um, so a couple of questions about the incident. What time of day was it? It was about twelve thirty in the morning. Okay, and then the the second cabbie did did you pay the full twenty? Did did he take your twenty dollars? He took my twenty dollars. Okay, so here's uh, now I can't blame you if you don't want to go down this road with me, Jenna. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the kind of person I am. I'd like you to name the the, the brands of taxi right now, if you, if you would, uh, and if you don't want to do that, I understand. I already have, so <laughs> no problem at all. Uh, it's Checker Yellow Cabs. Both times. Yep, both times. Okay. See, the whole thing about it not being worth my time, right? If a taxi driver says it's not worth my time, mm-hmm. then I think that the only argument someone like you or I or you, Rob, need to make is to point at that decal on the window that says, this sticker tells you how much your time is worth. And if mm-hmm. you don't want to abide by this sticker, mm-hmm. stop driving taxis for a living. I think mm-hmm. it's obscene what happened to you. It, it It's unbelievable. And I... Yeah, I almost met a loss for words, just like I was when I got kicked out on the road. <laughs> so, I yeah. yeah I but my understanding is they they can't do this. That this actually violates the the conditions that taxis operate under in in Calgary. Is, is that your understanding? Yes. Um, after speaking with the city, uh, it's definitely against all regulations for them to do that. Um, they're only allowed to refuse in certain situations, and they're very limited situations that they're allowed to do that in um and this is definitely not one of them so right yeah. but it was so but is anything going to come of this does it fall to you to have to file some kind of official complaint um you are supposed to file an official complaint yes i have been in touch um the only issue and i hope everybody can learn from my mistake is that i didn't get the cab number so in not getting that it's really tough to track down that cab driver and it's unfortunate because there are a lot of good cabbies in the city and because of some not so great cabbies they're all taking the flack for it so i'd like to see from now on anybody who has issues getting those cab numbers and reporting them so that we can get those guys off the streets uh, yeah, right. And I mean, in mm-hmm. in trying to secure who the driver was or the cab number exactly. is, sometimes you'll you'll bump into some hostile taxi drivers, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wonder mm-hmm. if there has to be some gamesmanship here. Would you uh, maybe suggest people tell the cab driver that you're a big fare, and then as soon as the pull he pulls away from the curb, say, "Actually, drop me off just two blocks from here." <laughs> well, I honestly, I don't know, how to I don't know what to say to that, but right. I know that on. Like on social media, some of the responses have been friends saying, oh, well, I just don't tell them where I'm going. I say I'll give them directions because I don't know the address. And so they're kind of hooped into yeah. driving to that destination. Would Would you uh, prefer, I mean, I'm trying to ask you a, a kind of a leading question here, so mm-hmm. pardon me, but I mean, would you prefer to use Uber or a ride sharing service like that? Well, I, I, we definitely need an alternative. Um, 
I don't know if that one company in particular is uh, like, obviously the mayor has his concerns and there's a reason for that. So I think that there's a lot of safety precautions that need to be taken with a ride sharing service. And obviously we need an alternative, but um, we still need the safety of our, like the safety of the passengers needs to be the number one concern still. So um, yes, in a way, <laughs> and yes, <laughs> I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, Jenny, yeah, it certainly got people talking, and uh, appreciate you talking with us here today. Thanks for this. No problem. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. That's Jenny, uh, excuse me, Jenna Lenacek, uh, who had a hard time getting a cab home to to take her just a few short blocks, actually to her car, so that she could drive home. Well, so thing. there's a minimum fare, I guess, for a reason. So the notion that a fare is too low, well, then then why do we have the the minimum? So I mean, look, the bylaw is pretty clear that that. You must pick up all passengers. So let's get a response here from, from the cab company in quest. And Jenna specifically identified Checker Cabs. Kurt Enders uh, joins us on the line, president of Checker Cabs Limited, ambassador limousines and Checker Courier. Kurt, uh, thanks for joining us here. Thank you. All right. Well, you heard Jenna uh, lay out what happened to her. What, what do you make of that? Well, it's, I, I guess it's, it's always disappointing to hear that a customer has been refused. Um, the bylaw is very clear. Um, all the drivers know what the bylaw is, and there are very few reasons why anyone can refuse uh, a passenger for a ride. Um, and a checker stance is we don't care how long or short the trip is. Our drivers must um, take all passengers. Um, we haven't heard from Jenna on, on this matter. We found out about it through uh, the media. So we are in turn doing our own internal investigation to see if we can track down the vehicle um, in working with LTS so we can find out who the driver is and, um, and get him under a license review hearing. The two drivers, right? Not just the one? Well, both 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 drivers that that um, uh, that picked her up, or the one that did pick her up and and took her the short fare. Right, because that driver also suggested to her that it wasn't worth his time to drive her that short fare. So, I mean, the yes. que- the question that I have, according it, to what you said, yes. yeah, the question yes. that I have in in all of this is, I mean, this is uh, you know, it's anecdotal. I gather that, but uh, we hear this uh, same anecdote from a lot of different taxi patrons in this city that uh, there are certain fares that uh, cab drivers don't want to take, either short ones that aren't worthwhile or deep uh, out of the core ones because uh, drivers don't want to drive back with empty cabs. So, how, how do we deal with this problem? Well, I think. Um you know, the industry does eight and a half million trips a year and, and there's, you know, about 500 complaints a year that come in regarding uh, taxi drivers. Um, so I think what happens with the competition that's coming up, drivers are going to have to be held more accountable. And that's why we encourage um, customers also to, you know, use our app and stuff so you can rate the driver, you know who the driver's picture is, and you've got a record of it. So if there ever is a problem, and, and like Jenna said, get the car number. That is probably one of the most crucial pieces of information that anyone can get if there ever is a concern with a driver is that car number. So it makes the investigation so much easier. Okay, and she said that too. She said that that's a mistake she made. But let's say she got the driver's name and the car number. What would the punishment be? Well, um, we would review the, um, uh, the audio video in the taxi as well. And depending on what the outcome was on the audio video. We then uh, involve uh, litter transport services for um, a license review hearing on that driver. And depending on the severity of it, or if, if, if our driver did refuse, he would uh, no longer work for Checker Cabs. 
Okay. So your drivers are made well aware of the, the bylaw and what their obligations are. There, there's no question here that this would have been uh, ignorance, not knowing that that's a rule. The, they, all drivers um, uh, go through a bylaw review hearing before they are issued a, uh, a taxi permit to drive. Okay, so to, to, to answer Rob's question more plainly than the driver, uh, it is incumbent upon that driver to know what these law, bylaws are, so he must have known. Well, correct, and there's also the passenger bill of rights that sits at the back of the vehicle that tells the consumer what the driver's rights are and tells the customer what their rights are in, in, a, in a vehicle. So it's in very plain view in all the taxis in Calgary. Then, then how do you advise customers who are in this situation? Because the last thing we want is confrontations with taxi drivers, and taxi drivers, I dare say, can be quite confrontational from time to time. The, the, you know, the, um, I, frankly, I've had it happen to me when I travel. I just don't get out of the cab. When I, um, when I, when I've had, uh, okay, I've but Kurt, hang, 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 hang on a second here. Let, let, let's kind of bring this down a notch, though. Here's Jenna Lenacek. It's twelve thirty. She doesn't really want to be standing around in the city all by herself. She's yep. concerned about a six-block walk to her car. Um, so the idea then that she wants to have some kind of an altercation with a taxi driver in the back of his car is also quite uh, uh, unappealing to hers. I, I, I just sort of feel like. Uh, this happens a lot in Calgary, and nothing really happens to the taxi drivers that uh, that do it. Uh, you know what? I disagree with you on that. Um, if it is found that a driver has done it, the the companies and livery transport services do stuff about it when they know about it, and they are able to track down the driver. They do. They get license review hearings. They get their license suspended, or they lose their badge entirety where they cannot drive in this industry ever again. So that's not fair, and, and the industry does deal with it when they're made aware of it. Okay, so you, you're, you're suggesting this is not the norm, that this is an exception, this is a driver apparently acting inappropriately, and if you can find out who that was, you're going to deal with it. 100% correct, yes. I, this is not the norm. But what about the, uh, the, the, part, the, the second driver, the, the cabbie who actually took her to uh, her destination? Um, should he be sanctioned for uh, having her basically uh, agree to a fare before he even turned the meter on? The driver under the bylaw has to run the meter from point A to point B. That is in the bylaw, and every driver knows that. But he might have still done that. But, she... but, we, but hold on. We don't even know if, if the second driver ran the meter. Well, that would be another issue. I, I would. I, I'm assuming he did run the meter and then just basically pocket the twenty bucks. So, I mean, I, there's that's a problem for me too because she basically said, "Look, there's a fair price for me to get the six blocks that I have to go, but uh, instead uh, I have to pay more for my uh, for my safety and security, which is something that you guys offer." And we haven't had the opportunity to find the drivers, unfortunately, to, right. to speak to the drivers on. With the the short fare, the five dollar fare from National to where her car was, um, to to look into this to find out what happened. Okay. Well, Kurt, we really appreciate you taking some time today to to give us that side of the story. Thank you very much. Great, thank you. All right, take care. That's Kurt Ender. She's the president of Checker Cabs Limited, uh, the cab company in question that we heard about from Jenna Lenacek. All right. Well, and uh, the passenger and driver bill of rights, pretty clear. Uh, a driver cannot refuse this fare. So I, I get that he's uh, at the nightclub. He's hoping for uh, a bigger payday. Maybe he waited a long time to get that spot right by the door, doesn't want to get back in the line. doesn't matter. The rules are the rules. They're the ones that wanted this protected cartel. This is one of the trade-offs.
But it's, you know, you made the point, though, Roger. I mean, taxi drivers, you know, they want it both ways. They just want that, that Goldilocks sweet spot perfect where it's not too short, but it's not too far, and it's just right, and it's just the perfect payday. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. And uh, to, to try to pretend it is, well, look, then let's open it wide open, wide open to competition. If you only want to take $23 fares then go ahead. Make that your business model and give us the, the rest of us a choice. All right. We're going to pause here. Hear your phone calls after the break. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Nine seven four eight two five five. So you heard the story from a woman who said, all I wanted to do was go six blocks and prepared to pay the the standard regulated cab fare to get from point A to point B and it wasn't enough for the driver, he wouldn't take me and then she had to pay like quadruple the price just to get the other driver to take her. It's unacceptable. That's the clear violation of the rules. All right, let's go to the phones. Nine seven four eight two five five. Hello, Rahim. Rahim, are you there? Hello, hi, how are yeah. you? Good, go ahead, sir. Yeah, so my uh, question is that uh, because uh, the cab company and uh, is attached to the license plate, that the license plate, uh, how this belongs to the city and the city belongs to the Calgarian. So the license plate, whatever the money, that means the asset for the Calgarian, whatever the money they generate, it's supposed to go to the city of Calgary. How come the city of Calgary, they distribute it the $1.2 million per month to just a few people. I, I'm, I'm not sure I understand the correlation you're trying to draw here. I mean, how does this pertain to a woman trying to get from point A to point B by taxi cab? Yeah, because my question is a little bit different, though. You know, my question is that because of how the taxi industry yeah. it works, because of the taxi industry is the... So, adaptive. Raheem, hang on a second, Raheem. Do you want to talk about this situation that we're discussing, or do you want to talk about the taxi industry and how it operates more generally uh yeah i would like to talk about the taxi industry okay we'll, we'll okay, pick so that up well, uh, okay. sorry we'll pick it up yeah. at a different time here Kel- kelly's called in hi kelly go ahead hi um i had a very similar situation happen to me i was uh, staying at the comfort inn and i had gotten into the cab i asked the driver to take me to northland mall which is not very far i believe it the cost was under seven dollars mm-hmm. and uh he didn't want to take me and i discreetly uh took his pulled out a pan and i discreetly took his number down it's on the visor mm-hmm. and uh he was hostile about taking me yeah that's and, the problem they're hostile from time to time aren't they kelly yeah yeah i was i was i was aggravated and uh so uh i did not i did not i I paid the fare, I didn't tip him, and immediately I went and I called and I asked for a manager, and they told me that they were not allowed to refuse under any circumstances, and that they would handle it. And I don't know what happened to him, but this situation, I'm a first-time caller, and I have two daughters, and uh, I'm upset because if this was my daughter, Stephen Avenue at night is pretty scary, and it makes me emotional because if this was my daughter and something happened to her, I would be extremely upset. So, uh, you know, I I can understand why people want Uber in town, and I think there should be other alternatives. These these cab drivers, 
the way they lord over people is, is disgusting, and I feel so bad for this woman, and it makes me hostile, and that's why I'm phoning in. Kelly, I re- we really appreciate your passion and your phone call. Thank you so much. Okay. All right, see. And, and something that stands out to me about Kelly's phone call is that they didn't follow up with her. You know, she called to complain about it, but you, you wonder if anything happened. Well, and that, I mean, but I think that speaks to how so many people are feeling about this because, you know, it's not like, oh, my feet were sore. I didn't want to walk six blocks. It's 1230 at night. I'm alone. I don't feel safe walking those six blocks. And the, the callous disregard from the cab driver It's like, well, you know, that's too bad. I don't feel like going. Unless you're going further than that, I'm not, I'm not taking you. So a clear violation of the rules and for, for the most petty and insulting of reasons. And that, that is a fear that a lot of people, it's not just women, obviously, but I mean, it's a legitimate fear that people feel. But I, I don't know these neighborhoods. I don't know what's going on in the middle of the night. Why should I have to walk? There's a cab right here. Nobody's in that cab. That cab's available. There's an established set of rules here that, that this, this fare must be accepted. It's quite it's quite obvious here in these stories, and particularly here in Kelly's phone call, that uh, there needs to be some sort of a, a, an independent party set up. Now, when we talked to Kurt Enders, the uh, uh, president of Checker Cabs, he said, "Look, they'll take it to the the Taxi and Limousine Commission and say, you know, here this is the complaint. You know, please investigate this and let us know how how we should proceed." Um, but, but but I feel for Kelly that, you know, when she calls the taxi company, there's no follow-up. There's no feedback. There's no basically, yeah, that shouldn't happen to you. These are the steps that were taken. Here, here's, these are the repercussions. You can feel secure using the taxi system in this uh, in this city again. But, I mean, you telling me after you heard Kelly's phone call there to 974-8255 that she feels any sense of security in the taxi services in this city? I don't think so. We're going to break for the 1130 News. When we return, uh, our latest in the Adapting in Alberta series, Scott Crockett from the Calgary Chamber of Commerce will join us. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Roger Kincaid and Rob Breckenridge, weekdays starting at 930 a.m. on News Talk 770 Calgary.